Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. I'll be your host today. You can find me on Twitter at Torres Takes, joined by my senior co-host, Mike Carter. And yeah, I'm basically just saying he's old. Oh, you can find him on Twitter at MRDRC0508. And by the way, I'm starting a petition to change that Twitter handle. <laughs> but Mike, I'm happy to be back here with you. First, I want to thank you for hosting for the past few weeks while I was out. You were awesome, man. Really enjoyed listening to those episodes with Evan Drellich and Dave Funnel. But uh, super happy to be back. How are you doing, my friend? I'm, you know, I'm doing okay. I, I'm, I am having more senior moments, as you point out. You know, um, I am coming up on fifty here in a couple of months, and everybody around me keeps reminding me of that. So I appreciate that. I, I would like to correct you and say that I'm a senior writer at Fantrax, uh, and not just a senior citizen. Although I did get my first AARP guide in the mail last week, and actually, if I'm telling the truth, I found it riveting. Really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because that's what I really need in my life is to be reminded that I'm old and that I, you know, a depend undergarment coupon will, will become in real handy for me at some point. So. All right, man. Well, let's get right to it. We've got a great guest uh, and we're going to bring him right in. We've got Matt Kawahara, Oakland A's beat writer at the San Francisco Chronicle. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing good. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, so a lot of talk right now uh, around the A's and not necessarily about the team on the field, right? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, we knew this was not going to be a good year for them, but uh, the A's have been very uh, prominent in the news lately because of their uh, the potential re relocation to Vegas. And, uh, you know, so I just want to get your insight into uh, that issue specifically as, a, as to how it affects the team. Like, what would you say right now is the vibe within that clubhouse and how is this uh, potential relocation impacting uh, the players in there? Yeah, I think the vibe in the clubhouse right now is more a reflection of just the way the team is playing than the, the potential relocation. I mean, we've, we've talked to quite a few players and the manager about sort of their thoughts on uh, the possibility of the team moving, but whether the team stays or moves, um, they're still going to be, or they're supposedly going to be in Oakland at least through the end of next season. Their lease at the Coliseum runs through 2024. So uh, even if they were to move to Vegas, there's a good chance that they would be playing in Oakland through the end of next year. And I think, uh, I mean, you guys know, probably baseball players, baseball teams are, are, are pretty funnel focused um, kind of on the, on the present um, or try to be anyway. So the sense that we've gotten from a lot of the players when asking about the potential relocation is just that, you know, it's it's sort of an issue that's kind of out of their control, and they're more focused on trying to just turn things around in the clubhouse right now. So, I everybody is aware of it. And I mean, when we got home, or when the team got home for the last home stand, and you know, there were fans chanting in the in the stands and holding up signs about stay and and sell the team and that kind of thing. That's it's it's not possible for the players to ignore that. So, so everybody knows what's going on. Everybody has a sense of um, this kind of issue that's hanging over them right now. But again, I think they see it mostly as, as being 
sort of something that they can't really control. So they're just watching it play out like everybody else is. One thing that everybody does agree on is that they do need a new stadium. I mean, the, the, the Coliseum, mm -hmm. as you guys know, is, is old. It's outdated. Uh, players are not shy about saying that the team needs a new facility and the league isn't shy about saying that either. But, um, but again, that's, it's nothing that they can really do too much about. So I think uh, it's just something they're kind of observers to as much as everybody else. Gotcha. Matt, while we're on this topic, we were talking a little bit off air about how maybe the perception of the A's, like they're definitely going to Vegas, how maybe that perception is a little bit off. So can you tell our listeners uh, currently, what is the status of this potential relocation? Yeah, well, it's definitely not a done deal. Um, the A's have entered into a, an agreement to purchase land in Las Vegas. Um, as far as I know, that that uh, purchase isn't finalized yet. It, they do have an agreement to, to buy a plot of land there where they could put a stadium. Um, they're still seeking a public-private partnership there, which would help them finance a stadium. But as of right now, uh, my understanding is that they don't have uh, a financing plan that's been finalized. Um, they are seeking a significant public contribution to it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. been reported by several outlets in Nevada that that would be somewhere around the $500 million mark. Um, and I think it's something that they have suggested would be generated through, um, I, I believe this is right, so, uh, like a tax district that would be placed over the site um, where the stadium would be. So it's it sounds similar to what they were, uh, what they have been, um, proposing in Oakland where they were going to, you know, they've been working with the city of Oakland on this proposed multi-billion dollar ballpark development project, which was uh, a, a privately financed $1 billion ballpark as part of a really large uh, development in the downtown area, which would include retail uh, housing. And part of the way that they were proposing to finance that was by creating these tax infrastructure districts over, uh, over the area where they're, what they said was that by developing uh, this area, the, the taxes that were generated uh, from some of the development on that area would be coming back to pay for some of the costs. So their argument was that, you know, those, those taxes wouldn't, uh, wouldn't exist. That tax income wouldn't exist without the, the project itself. It sounds like that it's similar to what they're proposing in, um, in Nevada, but that hasn't been, that would require some sort of, legislation, uh, some sort of official approval, which they haven't gotten yet. So there's that box that they would still need to check. And then there's also that, you know, they would need to have uh, relocation approved by a vote of uh, Major League Baseball's owners, um, which I would assume would not happen until they actually had a, a plan in place for how they were going to build and, and finance the stadium. So there's still definitely boxes that they need to check. It's not a dead deal. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, shifting focus to the on-field product, which isn't much better at this point, right? I mean, there's, what, 6-23, and 23, I think, as we sit here and speak this afternoon. But one bright spot so far, Matt, has been the emergence of Mason Miller. Um, seemingly kind of came – I don't want to say came out of nowhere because that's not exactly the case. But he's really been kind of a bright spot for them and, and was surprised to be called up to the big leagues, it sounded like, when it first came. What do you think are the team's plans for him this season? And do you think he's up for good? And kind of along with that, if you could kind of give a guess as to how many innings you think he might go. That's a good question. I mean, he's got a, a really interesting backstory. He was he was not much of a college prospect uh, early in his college career. He went to a Division three school, started out. Um, the turning point for him was actually 
he was diagnosed with type one diabetes when he was almost 20 years old. Um, mm -hmm. And when after that diagnosis and he was start to, you know, he was able to manage uh, that condition a little bit, put on a lot of weight and his velocity just jumped. Um, he was drafted by the A's in 21. He was hurt for most of the 22 season. So he hardly pitched at all. And when they called him up, uh, like last uh, in the middle of the last month, he'd only thrown, he, I think he'd thrown less than 30 minor league innings, uh, plus some Arizona fall league innings. So, so the question of how many innings he could pitch this year, I mean, they're going to, they're going to be careful with him. There's no point. They, they, I mean, he's a, a really intriguing prospect. Obviously he throws 102 miles an hour. He's got the best arm in their, uh, in their system. So right, right. right now he is part of their rotation and they're starting him every fifth day. He's pitching tonight. Um, he's getting about to make his third start for them. So at the moment, I mean, he is, uh, he's in the rotation. He's a regular part of the rotation. I, it's really difficult for me to see him being on regular turn for them, like pitching every fifth day all season long, because you know, that puts him probably in like the 150 innings range where that would be mm -hmm. a really significant jump from anything he's done before. So I would assume at some point they're going to have to maybe scale back a little bit or, or be careful with him, but they're at least, you know, let it taking off the reins and let him go right now uh, to an extent. I mean, it's not like they're out here. He's out there throwing 100, 110, 120 pitches every time, but, but he's at least starting for them every fifth day at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely been uh, a bright spot. And like you said, Mike, it kind of uh, a little bit uh, out of nowhere. Like I, I had no idea who Mason Miller was. G granted, I'm not a huge uh, prospect guy, but, um, you know, but I'm wondering, uh, Matt, is there anybody else that you see? I mean, with these bad teams, I think we tend to see these guys just, you know, whether it's a Brent Rooker, whether it's a Mason Miller, you know, these guys that kind of emerge. So I'm wondering, do you see anybody else? whether they're in the minors or currently on the big league roster that could grow into a bigger role and, and kind of surprise us moving forward? Um, that's a good question. I mean, they, there's so little that's set in stone for them, but they're, they're probably like, like you saw last year, they, they ran 60 something players through there. So I don't think they're wedded to a lot of guys in certain spots. Um, Asturi Ruiz has been kind of a good, um, uh, at least a candidate for that kind of thing. He, he's uh, the rookie center fielder they acquired uh, from the Brewers as part of that three-way Sean Murphy trade in the offseason. Right. And they immediately plugged him in as the everyday center fielder. Uh, and he's been leading off for them for most of the last like two or three weeks. Um, he's the guy who comes with, I mean, he stole, uh, I forget the exact number, 80-something bases in the minors last year. Um, and he stole 11 bases for them in April after really not running very much at all for the first two or three weeks, mm -hmm. but he's playing every day. Um, he's leading off for them. He has not hit particularly well so far and he hasn't hit for power at all, but, um, but he is able to get on base for the most part. Uh, he is somehow really, uh, really adept at getting hit by pitches. <laughs> he's hit by, <laughs> he's been hit by like nine pitches so far and he was hit by something like 30 in, in the minors last year. So he finds ways to get on base and, the, and then he can use his speed. Um, so he, uh, they're definitely giving him a chance, uh, to, to be sort of that breakout guy. Um, I mean, they have several rookies in the rotation. They're starting, uh, Waldichuk, uh, Muller, uh, those guys are regular guys for them. JP series has been a regular guy. Uh, one, one guy that they called up for a spot start last week in Anaheim was Luis Medina, uh, who was another really intriguing arm in their system. Um, he's another, you know, hits triple digits, 
a lot of people have looked at his kind of minor league track record and think maybe he's a reliever down the road, but they're using him as a starter right now. And, uh, you know, he came up for one start, they sent him back down, but I think he's somebody that you could definitely see up for a longer period of time at some point, uh, this season. And then on the hitting side, I mean, there, there are two top prospects in AAA right now it would be, uh, Tyler Soderstrom and, uh, and Zach Geloff. Um, Soderstrom is probably the best hitter overall hitter in their minor league system. I don't know what his exact timeline is, but I would assume at some point this season he'll be up. Um, I think they just wanted him to get a little bit of time at AAA uh, because he, you know, he had like a week there at the end of last season, and that was pretty much it. So they probably wanted to get him some at bats there, but he's kind of a catcher first base hybrid. They've been bringing him up as a catcher, but defensively, I'm not so sure that he is gonna like that's his long term position. So first base would probably be uh, maybe more of an easier way to get up get him up because they have Langoliers behind the plate right now and a couple of other backup options. Um, so those are all guys that I could, I could see being up with them at some point and, and having roles. That's interesting. Yeah. I've been wondering about Soderstrom a little bit and, and what his timeline might be. Speaking of timelines, one guy that they have there that has been rumored to be trade bait, but he's injured right now is Seth Brown. Is there any update on his status, Matt? Um, he's been, I think last week he started swinging a bat like dry swings. Um, so he's not taking batting practice yet. He's been throwing. He's obviously, he's uh, coming back for an oblique injury and, you know, obliques can, t- can take a little while. Um, I think he's trying the general for an oblique strain, I think is, is like a four to six week timeline. Uh, I think he's trying to push it a little bit more, but it seems like he's doing, uh, you know, he's making progress. Um, I I don't know if there's like a time set for him to potentially like take BP or go out on rehab games or anything, but he's trying to work his way back probably faster than probably on the, at least on the sooner side of that four to six week window. So I mentioned Brett Rooker earlier and he's taking advantage of this increased opportunity so far this season. Uh, Matt, do you have any insight into what uh, Brent Rooker is doing differently and what has contributed to this hot start of his? Yeah, we tried to ask him that in multiple ways, multiple times. And uh, his his answer has really been that he's doing the same thing that he has always done, um, but is just A, getting more of an opportunity right now, and B, just has more experience. Um, it, was, like, it was funny after Sunday's game, uh, I basically asked, like, what is the biggest difference between 2021 when he had 200 something plate appearances with the twins and hit 200 and this season so far where he has 80 something plate appearances with the A's and he's got the best OPS of any major league hitter who, who has that many uh, plate appearances. And he was like, well, I've gotten better. I'm sure as a beat writer, you love those responses. (laughs) He's like, I've gotten better. And, but part of it is just, I, I think he, he's, you know, he, he feels like he's a smarter hitter. He's got more experience with how how his swing works and, like, the different ways that he can, uh, you know, make just, like, really fine-tune things. I, it's it, there's, no, there's no really uh, straightforward answer that I can give you other than the fact that he says right now his swing feels free and, like, just locked in enough mechanically. Like, physically, he feels in a good enough place that all of his energy, all of his focus is just on game planning and seeing pitches. So 
I mean, obviously that's something that could change at the drop of a hat. Like there's some mechanical thing falls out of place and all of a sudden you're thinking about physical stuff or you're thinking about your swing in the box instead of like what you're looking for. But so far for him, he's been in this place where he can just completely focus on, um, on, you know, looking for pitches. What he's, he's cut back on his, uh, one thing that he said he, he did do like in the second week of the season or so is a really minor thing, but he just, he got, he, uh, he made a little tweet to just start faster. It's like start his hitting motion faster. So he's basically getting into a hitting position faster. And he feels like that has allowed him to better, um, you know, adjust to pitch. Like if he's looking for a fastball, he, by being ready a little quicker, he can, you know, still look fastball and adjust to breaking ball if needed. So he's swinging at fewer pitches outside of the zone. His chase rate is down. Uh, his, he's swinging at more pitches inside the zone than the league average. And obviously he's, um, hitting them harder or his barrel rate is incredible. Um, all these things that you probably would not expect from a guy that, that had like pretty much zero minor league tracker group before, but, um, but yeah, for he's off to an incredible start. So we'll see how much of it is sustainable, but some of those metrics, like, like the barrel rate and like, uh, just, you know, the hard hit rate and the fact that he has cut down on that chase rate, um, those all like, pretend that it's not being completely fluky. Like he could probably sustain this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's for sure. So, man, I cover bullpens at fan tracks. Not that anyone uh, cares or that you need to know that. But one of the things that we, we really need to kind of ask you about is this bullpen is in complete disarray right now with uh, injury and kind of I kindly put in it lack of performance. Do you see any dark horse candidates there that might be able to help us find uh, saves down the road here. I mean, I know they've they've looked at Zach Jackson. They had Trevor May in that role for a while. They've got some other guys, Jurist Familia. How do you see this shaking out the rest of the season? Well, they need to be in a situation where they have a save situation, which hasn't been. Yeah, very I, wasn't, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't had a lot of chances. Um, that look, five of their six wins have been one run wins. So, like when they're winning, it's by a very small margin. Uh, but I think Zach Jackson, who you mentioned, I think he would be probably the leading candidate there. Um, they've used him in high leverage roles before. I mean, like, I think at the start of the season, he was more of the first guy out of the bullpen. Um, he was sort of like a fireman. Um, but as it, those things evolve and and their, their back end options are so limited, uh, I think he is probably the top candidate to be a quote unquote closer. They said for the last year or so, they, they have basically done away with the idea of a closer. Um, right. They say they want to play matchups in the ninth inning. I mean, it hardly, it's so far, it's hardly even gotten to that point where like they can, Marcotte can like deploy his bullpen in a strategic way. It's more just, hey, we're trying to like put out fires here every inning. Um, so, but I think Zach Jackson is probably a leading candidate there. Um, I mean, May, who's, he, you know, he's on the IL right now for anxiety-related issues. Um, there's no timeline, really, for him to come back. They haven't said when they, they could see him pitching again. Um, he had his struggles before he went on the IL. So I, I don't, you know, I would assume that when he comes back, it, it wouldn't be necessarily in, like, um, in like a closer-type role or the highest-leverage-type role. I think in, in short term, and maybe in the long term, I mean, Zach, uh, Jackson had a good season overall last year uh before he had some i think he ended this il uh ended the season on the il with a shoulder strain but i think he was worked a lot so um that's one thing to keep an eye on is that they have used him a lot um in the first month or so he's pitching on probably almost half their games but 
but I think he would be a uh, probably the leading candidate uh, in terms of guys that are in that that group right now. And maybe could have kept AJ Puck. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, he's he's not doing badly with the Marlins. Uh, no, he's not. <laughs> there was a what was it? there was like a game earlier this season where uh, Lizardo started and struck out what, nine, nine guys and Puck mm-hmm. got the save. And but I mean, you look around the you look around the league right now. I was looking at OPS leaders um, yesterday. And so what, seven of the top 22 or 23 guys were all XAs or current A's. I mean, Rooker was at the top. Then you have Chapman, Muncie, Olsen, uh, Murphy. Jorge Mateo was uh, on the A's for a little bit. They got him in the Sunny Gray trade, and he never really got a chance with them. And then they, they ended up trading him for, like, a player to be named later. That was one of them that uh, in 2020 when they still had Marcus Simeon, and it was his last year. And they basically – I mean, Mateo just got away for – really nothing and uh and now you look what he's what he's doing so yeah you can you can look around the league and and pick out pick out a lot of guys like that yeah it's kind of it's kind of sad you know yeah Yeah. absolutely it's pretty wild to think about like what their lineup could look like just with guys who have have been part of the organization in the last like five years or so yeah like if they would if they would work for 15 hours an hour they could have kept the whole team together or you know if they had a, a slightly higher payroll (laughs) <laughs> all right well we could spend a, a long time delving into the uh <laughs> the issues around a's ownership and uh uh the situation there but uh i know you got to get out of here matt thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh please tell our listeners where they could find you on twitter and where they could find your work yeah uh twitter would be at matthew kawahara uh and then all the work is on the sfchronicle.com website um so yeah if you're we're, right now, we're trying to cover both the, the baseball team and all the off-the-field issues. So, um, so yeah, sfchronicle.com would be the place to come check that out. That's a and great also, sorry, Yeah, sorry. I, I signed up for a um, – they have a, a deal going on right now. If you sign up for an online membership, I think I said it, it was like two months for $0.25. Cents. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've been checking out Matt Matt's work there and uh, can't go wrong with uh, $0.25 cents for, for two months of – of A's and Giants coverage. But again, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hope to have you back at some point. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. We are going to be back. Mike and I will be discussing our fantasy team's performance to this point. Uh, oh we'll boy. be getting into some bullpens and uh, we'll be doing our mental health minutes. So we'll be, be back right after this. All right. We are back. I'm here joined again by my co host, Mike Carter. Mike, just quickly want to touch base. We just had our interview with Matt Kawahara. I uh, want to get your thoughts on uh, any reactions to the interview um, and or your thoughts on any fantasy relevant players on the A's at this time. You know, I'm really happy to have had Matt on. I'd been talking with him uh, online a little bit, and we were able to finally lock in and, and have him come on. Writes for a great paper, as you pointed out, the San Francisco mm-hmm. Chronicle, about as good as it gets. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaway that I have when I think about the athletics, other than thinking about Carlos, is <laughs> is is how depressing it is, really. I mean, they've had all these talented guys. You know, as Matt pointed out in the earlier part of the show, the, the guys that have gotten away, Chapman, mm-hmm. Olsen, Murphy, just to name a few, Simeon. I mean, these guys could be competing for – 
play, really deep playoff runs if they had been able to figure out a way to keep those guys together with moderate contracts. And Oakland just doesn't seem to have any interest going back a long way to doing that. And I find that depressing. If I were an, a diehard Oakland A's fan and somebody who had been a fan my entire life there, I'd be completely devastated by what's happening there right now. I mean, as much as I hate the White Sox right now, I, I, I can't I, see me renouncing my fandom ever or being in a position where I'm like, yeah, go ahead and move and I'll be a Cubs fan. I will never be a Cubs fan ever. There's no way. I can't do that. So I guess the biggest takeaway for me is that it's really depressing and also that Brent Rooker's having a really good season so far. Yeah, so tell me about him, Mike. I mean, what are your thoughts on his start to the season? First, let me ask you, do you have him anywhere? Did you end up picking him up? You know, I I got him in a couple places with uh, with uh, fab bids early okay. on, just, mm-hmm. just trying to take advantage of the, the power output, right? And the guy is obviously barreling everything up. His walk percentage is through the roof right now. I think it's over 16% as we're sitting here talking. I don't think he's going to be able to sustain it. I, I do you, think you're though, telling me he's not going to be able to sustain a plus 200 WRC. Plus, <laughs> I mean, come on. He's got he's Crazy got problem. some he's got some pedigree, and there's absolutely no pressure playing there, right? I mean, he he was a guy that had been sort of highly thought of within Minnesota's realms, but then mm-hmm. the pecking order there kind of got shuffled around, and he was he was the odd man out. So you know, with an opportunity, I think the power is is very real. I think he could definitely mm-hmm. hit some home runs there, but I, I don't see me keeping him long-term in any of the leagues that I'm in. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't have him anywhere, and I'm regretting that. And I actually went back and looked yesterday. I'm like, why didn't I even bid on uh, Brent Rooker in any of my fab leagues? And just a complete oversight on my end. Uh, you know, I just I looked at the age, uh, 28-year-old. He had he he definitely had produced in the minor leagues, but uh, I just looked at the team contacts as well. I thought maybe he's a short side platoon guy, and this is something that I'm really I got to work on. Is sometimes I look for too many reasons not mm-hmm. to pursue a player or not right. to draft a player, um, and I think we do that in general uh, in the fantasy community at times. Uh, and I, I just had a total blind spot for him, even though I needed power on some of my teams and really kicking myself now i mean the dude is just crushing obviously this is not sustainable a 238 wrc plus a 426 iso uh, but like you said I, I think the power will be there i anticipate the average coming down quite a bit but uh yeah i, I mean you, you just ride this as long as you can and when you start to see the bottom fall out assuming it does uh then you then you bail but i think those who were smart enough to to pick him up are, are definitely um you know you got to be happy with that investment. You brought up a great point though, which is that idea of almost like having a blind spot about certain players, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look at somebody like Rooker who gets off to a hot start and has a great week. And you're like, well, anybody can have a hot week. And then you look at, you look at your roster and you say, do would I prefer to have him over any of these guys that I have that are currently on my bench? And a lot of times I think our answer to that is especially early on. No, because Mm -hmm. we're still in that, um, honeymoon period of our draft periods right like right, we're, right i drafted this guy i'm invested in this guy and then you have a guy like rooker who's got nine home runs on may 2nd and you're like wow you know it kind of came out of nowhere and somebody is benefiting from that if it's not you right so that's that idea like that you always talk about torres about like the bottom part of your roster should always be in a state of churn you mm-hmm. know like always kind of looking at ways that you can improve always looking at statistics every week to see where you can get caught up to the guy that's in front of you and keep the guy behind you, behind you. 
Right. Right. Yeah. I, and that's why I also preach like roster flexibility, you know, and I've actually it's funny, like I've talked about that during the off season, And for some silly reason, I didn't adhere to that <laughs> uh, with my own teams this season. I ended up, uh, you know, dra- clogging my roster with guys who are either were in the minors or on the IL. And, you know, it, you may think like, oh, it's not a big deal. I got seven bench spots, at least in NFBC. Uh, but man, every roster spot counts. And if you got too many of those guys, like I try to max out at one, uh, you know, kind of like stash player, either IL or guy in the minors. Um, because these are, this is what happens. You miss out on the Brent Rookers, um, or, you know, whatever player, you know, you could insert whatever name. There's always somebody like that. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's just so important is just to, to have that flexibility. Unfortunately, with the way these injuries are this year, it's hard to have roster flexibility, uh, cause there's a lot of guys that, you know, you, you, you don't want to drop. Um, but, uh, sometimes you got to make those harsh decisions, but let me, uh, let's transition to talking a little bit about our team's performances to this point. Uh, it's been about a month, so you know, we're starting to get a better sense of uh, what teams are contenders and what are which ones are probably not going to be. But, uh, Mike, tell me so far, how are you doing in your leagues? So it's been kind of a mixed bag, as you would imagine. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, there have been some where I've been pleasantly surprised by how my team's doing. I'm I'm in an on-the-wire uh, pod listener league where I'm in first place in that one and and, and doing well. I'm, I'm real pleased with my Glarf team so far. Um, I had been middling around in there about 13 or 14 um, the first couple weeks of the season, but I had kind of a rash of injuries that I kind of waited out, and and those things have kind of come back now. I'm in the top five. I'm in fourth place there in Glarf. TGFBI kind of middle of the pack, and I'm doing pretty well in a few fan tracks leagues as well. My home league is kind of a, you know, eh, I'm kind of a rebuilding year in that year in that league, although – We'll see what happens. But I've been pleasantly surprised. And the leagues that I, I – I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. There are there are certain leagues that I want to do better in than others, right? And so um, TGFBI and GLARF are big ones for me. I've got an NFBC league as well where uh, right now I'm middle of the pack, but I'm showing some signs of being able to get through there. What I've been really happy about um, so far, and God only knows, I'm probably the kiss of death in saying this, is that – my teams that are doing really well, they've been really, really healthy and really, really getting a lot of at-bats and, and quality innings. And so that's been really, really helpful for me. So, so far I'm enjoying the ride. I'm I, I'm not out of it anywhere yet, which I think is a, a good sign because last year there were a couple of leagues where at the end of April I was like, you know, already kind of out of it. So how about you? How are you doing? Kind of the same, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, so I'm in five DCs. Uh, I got two first place teams out of those. Uh, the, a couple mid pack and one that was just God awful. I mean, I like, (laughs) that's a team that I know is not going to be anywhere near contention. It was the first one that I did. It's sitting in 15th place. Um, I don't know what happened. It's not even like I've been that injured, just a a horrible, horrible team, but everybody, all the other teams are doing okay. Um, I'm middle of the pack in, in my main event. You know, I was in first place in that league in my main event a week and a half ago. And I swear to God, I had the worst week um, I I think I've ever had in fantasy. I mean, I I think I hit like my team hit one home run on the week. It was an absolute abomination. 
I dropped 250 spots in the overall standings uh, and, and dropped to like seventh or eighth place in my league. So, um, you know, it shows you how quickly things can change. But sure. uh, yeah, I, I've had some really. So on my main event, I have Trey Turner, which, man, like that's just I. I I had said after I took Trevor's story last year, I'm like, you know, I don't want these guys that signed big contracts. You know, that first year of that big contract, I, I got to stay away because I maybe this is just anec- anecdotal, but I feel like those guys just tend to start off really poorly. And Trey Turner is fitting that. I mean, nothing looks good right now. If you look under the hood, the strikeout rate is way up. Uh, he is not making good quality of contact. It is a struggle for him. So, you know, I'm just hoping like with Bryce Harper coming back, maybe that takes off a little bit of the pressure and that lineup starts clicking. Uh, I actually have three Phillies in there. I have uh, Trey Turner, JTR and Alec Bohm. Uh, JTR has been a big disappointment. Bohm has been okay. Uh, so I really need uh, the Phillies to get going here. But yeah, I've just had uh, Aaron Nola is another Philly I have that just mm-hmm. has not panned out. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it is still early, but uh, I don't think that team's contending for the overall. At this point, I'm just hoping for uh, <laughs> to cash in, in that league. Sure. But yeah, it, it's been a mixed bag. It's, uh, you know, there's been been some days where it feels like everything's going right and then some days where it feels like everything's going wrong so you kind of got to learn to uh to weather the storm and just all right this is where i'm at right now and, uh-huh. and what can i do to to make this team better do you feel like you found your sweet spot in terms of how many leagues you're involved in yes um i think i'm right about i probably Next year, my plan would be to do maybe, so I said I'm doing five DCs. I also have a home league. I have the main event league, and uh, I'm in the uh, the turf league, part of the uh, the, the earth conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, so I may cut out one of those leagues. Actually, you know what makes it a little tricky? I've been playing my home league. It's a 12-teamer. Uh, I've been playing it for like seven, eight years, and I do really well every year, so it kind of like encourages me to keep going. Right. But it is a little bit tricky because everything else I do is 15 teamers and it's on NFBC. Mm-hmm. So my home league is a 12 teamer on CBS. So it's like, I need to use a different part of my brain, right? Like it's, it's a totally different game than what I'm used to in these other formats. So that is something going into next year. I'm really going to have to think about like, does it make sense to continue with that league for that reason? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had, I had played um, last year was my high water mark, and I think I was in fifteen leagues, and it was too many. Yeah, and I and I made a goal to kind of pare that down to ten and to keep it platform specific. Mm-hmm. So I'm on NFBC, obviously, um, and I need to stay there. I don't want to stay there. And then my other leagues are all on fan tracks, except for my home league, which is ESPN. But that's the only league that I'll play in that's not going to be on fan tracks or NFBC probably ever again. I just don't see me going back. And like last year I had four formats. Like it was just way too much. I couldn't keep it all straight in my head and um, picking up guys off waivers and things. There's different rules for each one. I just had to streamline that a little bit. So I got it down to 10 this year. And so far that feels manageable. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you've obviously got a a lot going on, um, you know, outside of your fantasy league. The one thing you do, as you mentioned, you're a writer for, for fan tracks and you write about bullpens over there. So Mike, I did want to ask you is uh, are there any players that you're looking at or any bullpens uh, that you find interesting that you think is important 
uh, to call out for our listeners? Well, I wrote about it last weekend, and I, I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but I, I really do think that there's going to be some odd things happening in Boston here shortly. Um, Kenley has been actually very good, and I I feel kind of bad. I mean, the last three years, I think I've been saying, hey, be careful here. He's getting older. He throws basically one pitch, and he's still doing pretty well with what he's got. But Boston's got a little bit of a logjam coming here soon, and not that the logjam is necessarily anybody that's super great in terms of bringing people back into the rotation, but there's been some talk that, you know, obviously Whitlock is back on the IL and he's injured again, and Tanner Houck is – essentially it's sounding like potentially going back to the bullpen into that role that he was in last year after he makes two starts this week. They've got James Paxton coming back. They've got some other options there. Uh, Brian Bayo, who you and I have talked about quite a bit in the past, coming in and, and, and probably sticking at this point. And so they've got to make some decisions. And I think Boston would really be well served to go back to what they were doing and having Whitlock and Hauk back in their bullpen and, and doing some fireman roles. Schreiber's been very good. Winkowski's been good in stretches. But they could really use some stabilization back there in front of Kenley. And and honestly, I don't think Boston's really going anywhere. I, 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 they're doing okay right now. But you know maybe they get to a point where somebody is desperate for a closer and they look at uh, someone like Kenley and, and maybe Kenley can get moved in that kind of a situation. I don't know. I just think that with Whitlock's injury history, he's kind of proving to us that maybe he can't handle a starting role. And Hauk's inconsistencies have kind of led us to look at it and say, maybe he's better served in a, a bullpen role. So I'm going to be really interested to see what happens there. I had a couple of people reach out after I posted that on Saturday saying, yeah, you know, that makes sense that maybe Boston could look at revamping what they're doing with the bullpen uh, based on how can Whitlock and their availability and trying to keep them fresh. Mm-hmm. What about uh, what about the Yankees bullpen? I got to ask you, like, where do you see things going? We had Clay Holmes uh, blow the save last night. Uh, the Yankees are just a mess, and and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute here. But uh, where do you see? Is Michael King the guy? Like, who who should we be looking at in that bullpen? Yeah, King would probably be the guy that's next up right now. I mean, Loisaga is obviously out for a period of time now, which is mm-hmm. disappointing. I mean. It's a guy that you're always kind of waiting to take that next step, and it seems like every time he gets close to it, he gets hurt or becomes ineffective and is unable to do it. King would definitely be somebody that I'd be I'd be tagging there and looking to acquire if he don't if he's free in your league. I, I'd be looking at that. Ron Marinaccio has actually actually been very good as well uh, overall. I I have to say this, and I and I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone, but I I was never a huge believer in Clay Holmes to begin with anyway. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know that he's really a closer. And I, I honestly was not in a position anywhere this year where I took him as a number one closer. And I actually I took him as like a closer to B anyway. Like, you know, I had a, a, a one guy, a two guy, and then him as like the second guy that might be able to get me some things. It would not surprise me at all if the Yankees went out on the market and were looking to acquire somebody to add to the bullpen, similar to how they did last year, but hopefully getting somebody better. You know, obviously somebody like, David Bednar kind of jumps to mind, or you know, maybe what about a Chapman. <laughs> a Roldis Chapman has yeah. been really good. Andrew Chafin down in Arizona probably will get moved at some point. I, I, I would imagine, although they're playing better than people thought they were going to be playing, so it would not surprise me at all. I mean, right now their best bet is probably to try to get Holmes figured out. But that game last night was really tough to watch. I mean, why you would 
why you do would do what Boone did, I really don't know. It, it seems almost indefensible to me. A lot of the decisions around the Yankees uh, are indefensible, like going into a season, depending on guys like Josh Donaldson, Stanton, Luis Severino, guys you know are huge, huge injury risks. I mean, I know Brian Cashman has his defenders, but it's enough. It's enough. The guy's got to go. The organization needs uh, a complete reset uh, because there's no excuse to be having Willie Calhoun batting cleanup for the New York Yankees. I'm sorry. You have a $300 million payroll. That is an absolute disgrace. And, you know, because Cashman hit on Matt Carpenter last season, I, you know, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. That's his problem. He'll never admit a mistake. He won't cut Aaron Hicks because then it's going to make him look bad. Uh, you know, he hit on one guy, Matt Carpenter, and yeah, he's had a couple maybe in his tenure. Um, but he thinks he's just going to go out and sign, you know, Willie Calhoun, uh, Cole Calhoun, uh, Franchi Cordero. And just because they're left-handed hitters playing in Yankee Stadium that all of a sudden they're going to go on that type of run. I mean, it's it's just as a Yankee fan, I'm just disgusted with the direction of this team. I know they're 500. I know, you know, there's still a lot of season left and they've made the playoffs. I get it. But the expectations for this team, uh, they should be higher. You you yes. have all the resources yes. in the world to work with. Uh, there's no excuse. It, what bothers me is just the complete and utter incompetence um, yeah, of this I could see that. organization. Um, you know, but getting back to the bullpen, enough ranting on the Yankees. Uh, you know, I Clay Holmes, I mean, that's actually the one thing I think that Cashman does do well. He he does stock the bullpen with these kind of high upside arms like mm-hmm. a Ron Marinaccio, like a Michael King. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go there. I mean, I know they like Wandy Peralta in that role. I and I don't know quite how he gets it done, but I mean he's been pretty dependable for him. So uh, for the Yankees. So I wonder if they go with like a Peralta King, if it's a committee, you know, could be, um, but uh, I, think, I think they're going to give Holmes a lot of opportunity to work it out. I, I don't know that they have a ton of choice, but I could see them definitely doing what you're saying, which is going the committee route. You know, they do have some depth um, in that realm. They don't have any depth in, on the field, unfortunately, as you pointed out. And I think that that's a real problem, but the other thing that I think is really interesting about what you pointed out too is that there's a lot of general managers in baseball that have to be the smartest guy in the room instead of just stockpiling what they should be stockpiling, which is options. And Willie Calhoun and Cole Calhoun are not options for a team that has Judge and Stanton and you know guys like that. I mean, how many times are you guys going to have to see Aaron Hicks out there? I mean, it's just it's mind boggling. No, I, I was telling my cousin we were talking in, about uh, going to a game, and I'm like. Listen, man, I honestly like I'm boycotting the team. Like, I can't go to a game if they're going to be running Aaron Hicks out there. Like, that's an embarrassment. I'm sorry. I feel for the guy. I mean, it's obvious. It's like the Joey Gallo thing last year. Like, mentally, the guy is shot. Like, he is not going to turn it around as a Yankee. I mean, I, it's doubtful whether he's ever going to even be a, a MLB player mm-hmm. uh, from this point forward. Uh, so I, I feel for the guy, but, you know, it's it's time. It's just not working out. Um, and the fact that they're just continuing to put him out there and act like everything is fine. Uh, it's just, it's really, really frustrating as a fan. And I, I know you share, like you're a white Sox fan and, uh, you know, your team is, is in a worse state, <laughs> worse state than mine. So, I mean, tell me, what are your thoughts on, on just the disaster that has been the white Sox season so far? And it's been one thing after another for the white Sox. And I, 
have to tell you, it's been really, really difficult to watch. I, in fact, at one point last week, I stopped watching because it was just making me aggravated. And and I, I have a tendency to be a little more laid back about it in a way, just because I recognize that I have no say in the matter. Nothing that I'm doing is going to help the team win or lose the game. Um, I'm just a fan, and I and I get that. But the 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 fact that I, what I, for me, I think in summary, what it really comes down to is it's an organizational philosophy that put a lot of stock into these guys becoming superstars, and it hasn't happened. To be really honest, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, they're not superstars. In fact, Luis Robert got benched on Saturday night for dogging it. He can say what he wants to say, and he said through the translator that you know he had a sore hamstring from the night before from running, and he didn't want to talk to uh, manager Pedro Gofal about it, and so he didn't tell anybody, but he told Eloy and he told Elvis Andrews about it, who then went to the manager. In the interview, Luis Robert didn't even know who the bench coach was. Now, these guys have been together for three months. I know it's a new group of people or whatever, but at some point you have to ask yourself a tough question, which is, are you going to be a professional and learn start learning stuff? He's not a 12-year-old kid. He's a 25-year-old man. He's got more talent in his right hand than I have in my entire body, right? But are they going to realize that? I don't think that they're going to. And they have a similar problem to the Yankees, which is somebody gets hurt. They have no depth. Mm-hmm. It was shown T.A. Anderson is back tonight and, and sitting atop the order. The Sox made 11 roster moves today um, in terms of bringing some people in and shipping some people out. But Oscar Colas has been a failure. He got sent down today. Um, now who's going to play right field? You know what's going to end up happening, don't you? They're going to run Eloy out there at some point and right field. He's get hurt. And he's, yeah. he's going to hurt himself being yeah. an idiot because he's like a baby giraffe on roller skates. The guy's just a co- he's a buffoon. There's yeah. no other way around it. So you have all these issues with it. Mankata, his back is too hurt. It's pressing on his ribs. He can't play. I'm like, what are these guys going to be like when they're 50 if they're this hurt already? But the problem is, if you go back to last season, management told them, if you're not 100%, you know, don't don't go balls out. You know, just yeah. take it easy. So it's an organizational philosophy that says, you know, if you got a hangnail, maybe you don't play, right? Mm-hmm. So. It, it, it's really a problem, notwithstanding the fact that the pitching has been hot garbage for the most part. And the bullpen, which was supposed to be the big part of this team, you know, Rick Hahn, again, the smartest guy in the room, spent $42 million last year on bullpen upgrades and Joe Kelly uh, and Diekman and Graveman and these guys that have not, they've not been good. In fact, Jake Diekman was DFA'd today. Um, they brought back Alex Colome. He's up today. Um, and another guy, another uh, minor leaguer to come up and try to revamp this bullpen. Liam Hendricks is on his way back, which is is good. I just don't know what if, what if any part of the season is going to be there to save by the time he gets back from, you know, getting in shape. He did strike out four guys and six batters, I think, over the weekend. And he's working his way back into being in game shape. He's cancer free. Thank God. You know, that's the most important thing of the whole thing. But Obviously, that would provide some stability to their bullpen, which is another bullpen that's been in complete disarray. Um, Mm. A lot of people before the season were talking about Ronaldo Lopez being the closer. I had said suggested that he's way better in that stopper role. Um, I don't think his mindset is the right mindset for him to be the closer, and I think he's proven that. You can throw 100 miles an hour, but if everybody knows where it's going and you got nothing else to do, it's it's going to be a problem. So they've been awful. It's really, really bad. They had a great comeback win on Sunday, which I did get to see the end of, which was fun. 
But when you're eight and 21, you need a lot more than one comeback win to kind of get back into the swing of things. And I just don't know if they have the ability to do that at this point. Do I got to start thinking about Alex Colomay again as a potential closing option? (laughs) (laughs) No. Do you you think, I mean, who's the guy right now? Ronaldo Lopez, I think he's hurt right now. You got, you're still waiting on Hendricks. I mean, for right now, would you say, is it Joe Kelly? uh, Yeah, Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly's pitched the best of that group, which isn't saying a heck of a lot. I mean, Graveman's been terrible, mostly. Lopez has been terrible. Yeah. Bummer has been – Bummer looks like he's just throwing batting practice to me. I mean, the gun says he's throwing 94, but he's throwing, like, sidearm junk. I I, I, I don't know, man. It's an, it, it is so bitterly disappointing for a, a, a guy that bought into the – the tear it down, let's rebuild it. We were supposed to be getting these guys with high pedigree, and I can honestly say this, and I and I will say it, and I would say it to their faces if they were here, which I know will never happen. But they have underperformed historically because they don't understand what they're supposed to be doing. They don't understand how to play winning baseball. There are so many opportunities where you watch a game and you're like, they give away a run or they give away an out or they don't hustle. Hustle costs you nothing. I tell the 11 and 12 year old boys that I coach every week the same thing. It doesn't cost you a thing. You don't even have to be good to hustle. You don't even, I mean, do the best that you can with what you got. They they don't have that. You know, you got guys like Kopech. He mentally does he mentally doesn't understand what he's supposed to do. Luis Robert looks like Eloy's looking around in the stands looking for his mom. I you know it, this isn't little league. These are supposed to be professional guys. I feel like we were sold a false bill of goods on the White Sox. I feel like they have two guys that are really pretty good players. Timmy Anderson being one, Hendricks being another, uh, Giolito when he's right, you know, but they really, they don't have a, a lot, you know, it's really sad. Man, this has been a depressing episode. I mean, we got the A's, we got the Yankees, the White Sox. Mike, but, this, is, this is not good. Let's turn this around. All right. We're going to yeah, transition. Exactly. exactly. Let's transition to the mental health minute, non-baseball yes. stuff here. Uh, Mike, tell me something positive that is is going on in your life right now or something positive that you've implemented that's uh, helping you to maintain your wellness. I'm going to tell you something right now. April and May in schools are really, really hard, right? You know, we've got standardized testing. We've got kids that are getting ready to graduate that are fearful and anxious of next steps, all these different things. And one of the things that we do in my school is um, kids are allowed to take down ceiling tiles and and hand paint them as long as they're appropriate. Sometimes they're not. And that's a whole different conversation, you know, but, but one of my students who's getting ready to graduate in about three weeks did one this, this past week. And it made me think of our podcast. It made me think of our mental health minute because what she wrote on there, she drew a picture of a broken crayon and it said, even broken crayons can still draw, can still work. You know, I was like, how revolutionary, you know, like a simple idea, right? Like, even if you're, if you've been broken, and we all have been, and we've all had our rough goes of things, and have had mental health complications to, before COVID, after COVID, whatever it might be, broken crayons still work. You know, mm-hmm. you can take, you can break them in half, you can peel the paper off, you could still use that thing to color. And so that kind of became my backdrop in the last few days of thinking about things in terms of. I have a lot of friends that are going through some some health drama right now. I've been going through drama with my insurance company about whether they're going to continue to okay my medication that's been working wonderfully for me. It's a stressful thing, right? You wake up at three o'clock in the morning and bam, you're awake and that's what you think about. But mm-hmm. what I always kind of know in my, you know, you you made a joke at the beginning about me being a senior. 
I think when you get a little bit older and you get a little bit more experience and hopefully you get a little bit wiser, you just kind of get this idea in your mind, like, you know, as long as I kind of stay the course, everything is going to work out okay, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'll look back on this time and recognize that it was a really difficult time or that there was a lot of struggle with it or whatnot. But as long as I'm kind of continuing to put one foot in front of the other, like you guys say in therapy, you know, fake it till you make it, you got to keep going. Like, you, d- you don't want to get too bogged down in thinking about the White Sox being bad or the Yankees being bad and letting that kind of become the backdrop for what's going on, you know? My daughter's got her spring concert tomorrow night. Uh, Jack's getting ready. We're, baseball, our opening night was rained out last night, but we're getting ready to get going with that. Those are all things that are positive and give me hope. And I choose to tunnel into that. You know, I choose to tunnel into that idea of, hey, you know what? Even though there's a giant shit show going on around us a lot of the time, I can still really be positive. I can be the thing that helps somebody you know, not do that. I had a friend reach out, a, a, a guy through the fantasy baseball industry, who reached out to me last night on a DM and said, Hey, you know, it really means a lot that you put yourself out there to be able to talk to people because you know, at the end of the day, Chris, like you and I are just talking about ball on a podcast and we spend an hour a week doing this. And it's one of the greatest pleasures of my life to be able to do this with you. And I love doing it. But if somebody hears something in our mental health minute at the end, talking about that and reaches out to us and says, Hey, that was really meaningful to me or Hey, thanks for being supportive or Hey, can I run this past you and maybe just have a conversation with you? If somebody DMS me, I will give them my phone number. We can talk. I don't mind. I love doing that stuff. That's what we do. And you know what? That's probably way more important than the podcast. That's way more important than talking about ball. If we, if there's another guy, if there's another guy that's out there that's struggling with stuff, like you and I know men struggle silently. Men's mm-hmm. depression and men's depression and anxiety looks way different than it does in the ladies, oftentimes, right? right but right. if we have one person that reaches out to us and says, "Hey, that was meaningful, that was helpful," it's all worth it, man. Like, Absolutely. it's just we're just talking about ball. That's all. Yep, man. I got nothing. That I appreciate you, man. I appreciate like everything you said was spot on. I love that. Uh, even a broken crayon could work. Like even a broken crayon could create something beautiful, right? Yep. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean that is just um just such a cool message. And uh yeah, I got I got nothing to add. That was that was amazing, man. So thank you. Um and building off of that, I mean, you talked about just um, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and and staying the course. And, you know, for me, that's that's what I've needed to do recently. You know, I've I've haven't been on the podcast for a few weeks. I've had a lot going on in, mm-hmm. in my life, uh, family health stuff and uh, it's just been crazy and overwhelming. Uh, so really just, you know, and I, I got to thank you just for your support during that time and reaching out and, and checking in, um, you know, but uh, I, something that I was doing was exactly what you said, just trying to stay focused, trying to stay mindful in the moment, um, you know, because sometimes when I would like stop and take inventory of everything mm-hmm. going on, like, man, that anxiety went through the roof. Absolutely. Um, but uh you know and that's natural right like you you you're you're human you're going to experience that um but in those moments i just try to it's almost like a mantra like like just stay the course or stick with my process and you know things like you said things are going to turn out all right usually if if you do that uh things could become problematic when you start to engage in some of these kind of uh negative or maladaptive coping skills right 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 um so as long as I keep doing what I'm going to, uh, what I need to do, show up the best I can in every moment, uh, things are going to be okay. And, uh, 
so that's that idea of just being mindful, focus on like what I can do right now to improve mm-hmm. this situation. Right. You know, um, so that's been been keeping me on the right track here. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so many people, like you said, are just go- are going through stuff, especially men. A lot of them are suffering silently. So just want to echo what you were saying about uh, if anybody wants to reach out to us in the DMs and, and need support, uh, we're here. And that's way more important than any uh, sleeper or fantasy advice that and then, uh, that we could give you. So, Unless the um, sleeper wins you big. <laughs> what's that? I said, unless the sleeper wins you big money. Yeah, you unless know? you win the main event because of somebody we told you then, yeah, that's probably more important. But uh, <laughs> then Your chance of happiness after winning the main event will probably be quite a bit higher. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we're we're gonna end in in a minute here. But just want to uh, spend a uh, a bit here talking about the future of the pod. Uh, and did want to announce that moving forward, uh, the podcast is just going to be Mike and myself uh, in in the um, you know hosting the show. Uh, Carlos will no longer be with us, and uh, uh, you know we love you, man, and uh, we you know we know that life sometimes get gets in the way, and. Uh, you know, we're going to miss you on the podcast moving forward. But, um, you know, right now it is just going to be Mike and I. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to make that announcement. Um, you know, we've got some some things planned for the show. I feel like we're kind of we're, we're trying to come up with new ideas here. Uh, we started a Twitter account. So I just did want to mention that as well. Uh, we've got a Twitter account. It's at fantasy, the letter B, beat, B-E-A-T. Um, so please give us a follow. We'll be, you know, posting beat writer articles, uh, posting clips of the show, letting you know when we're dropping a new episode. So we've got that going. We're also trying to expand a little bit and we're working on getting some, we know we've got some, uh, listeners who enjoy dynasty. So we're trying to expand a little bit to, uh, get writers that cover the minor leagues so we could get a little bit more, um, focus on that area as well. So We've got some good things coming next week. We've got um, a guest who we're actually going to talk a little bit more Yankees. Give me a little bit more chance to vent about them. Uh, he covers uh, the Yankees for W, uh, I believe it's WCBS radio here in New York. Um, so we'll be talking with him and also bringing on Ben Tid, who is a uh, successful high stakes player, also a Yankee fan. Uh, but we'll be bringing him on to chat about his fantasy season so far. So, that's what we got cooking, Mike. Any any other words of wisdom for uh, for the audience here? No, man. I'm just I'm I'm glad you're back. I know it, you had some things going on, and I was happy to you know hold down the fort as best as I could while you guys were doing your thing. And I'm glad things are on the upswing there. I'm glad to have you back. It was it was okay doing it without you, but it's way better doing it with you. So I'm I'm glad that you're back. And to Carlos as well, you know, um, Carlos has some personal things that are going on at home and, and and making some money and doing some different things like that, that that stand in the way of doing the pod. Always welcome to come back on. He's a, mm-hmm. a, a class act, always been a great guy, always been super supportive of me going back several years when I was first trying to get started doing this stuff. And uh, we wish him all the best. And I'm sure that he will be on at times with us throughout the summer when he can when he can uh, get on there and do that but i'm glad that you're back i'm glad to be flying back with uh with you and being your co-pilot so we're we're good to go man let's keep rolling all right 
But we will leave it there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. One last thing, please, if you can, leave a rating and review if you like the show. Uh, we are on the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball podcast feed. Uh, I guess these things go a long way towards making the podcast more visible so others can listen. But uh, for Mike, for me, thank you for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.